On this straightforward episode, we dive deep into the heart of taking action in the real world. As warriors, it is crucial to find our own course of action. We must be precise and committed to the betterment of ourselves, even if that means changing the path that we initially set out to walk. Our special guest today is Special Forces Green Beret, Johnny Primo, who is the founder of Courses of Action, a cutting-edge tactical training company. Primo's mentality and brutal honesty about life truly exemplifies the warrior spirit. Join us in one of the most interesting conversations we have ever had. Take notes and implement what you learn here immediately to your life. Stand by. Rise up, a warrior, my brothers. Welcome back to the Man of War. My name is Rafa Conde, and of course, I am your host. More importantly, I am a man on a mission to transform you into a modern day warrior. Check this out. This is episode number nine zero nine zero. Damn, we are close to a hundred. I cannot believe it's been that long already. Oh, but oh, it has been totally worth it, man. The relationships that I have made, the connection that we have made here as a unit, as a brotherhood has been absolutely fabulous, amazing. The people that I have met, fucking truly amazing. You know, I'm kind of uh, in a position here where the people that I speak to literally and, and we have that bond and we just grow as friends, man. And I got to tell you, this is one of the most important aspects here of being a podcaster and interviewing such high caliber individuals. Phenomenal stuff, man. And if you have been hiding under a rock for some reason or you've been in another planet and you don't know about the Conclave of Warriors, downtown Miami, December 1 and 2, well, what I can tell you here is this, wake the fuck up. You need to be there. This is going to be the most powerful event of the year. I'm telling you, listen to me for one second, okay? We are going to be focusing on connecting with you, with the audience. Our speaker cadre is not the same old shit you find on every conference throughout the United States. These guys are all hand-chosen and they are fucking badasses. Okay, just look at the lineup. Go to conclaveofwarriors.com and then you can see for yourself. And to answer some of your questions here about why do we have, you know, three Navy SEALs and, you know, why do we have like, you know, these guys that, you know, are machos or whatever. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you straight up. Okay. The fucking point is this. Okay. What these men went through, their stories, their challenges and who they have become. That's what I care about. You are not going to find a better crew of individuals than these men out there that we are bringing together. All right, let me tell you straight up, if you miss this event, you are truly going to miss something very, very special happening in Miami. Go to conclaveofwarriors.com, check it out, read about it, press that button, get yourself a ticket, secure your seat, okay, because it will go up in price and this event will sell out. All right, give me a quick follow on Instagram at Man of War with two R's. We are doing some lives. We're really immersive in that platform. So that is my go-to platform, even though I've been a little bit more active on Facebook lately. Um, one, one last thing. Before we go, do me a huge favor. Listen, 
I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to get down on my knees, okay? Because I know what I bring you here is fucking some legit content. All I ask from you in return is to go to iTunes and leave us a review. It will really mean a lot to us and will keep us trending higher on that iTunes chart so we can disseminate this movement, this podcast out to some very, very solid warrior-minded individuals that really want to start being in this, following this movement, right? It's all about increasing the brotherhood. It's all about building more individuals that can truly start living a life that embodies that warrior spirit. God knows we need that. All right, let's jump right into the show. Johnny Primo, brother, welcome to the Man of War podcast. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome, man. So you are the man out there. Definitely an inspirational dude with some great stuff on the table. I love the way you market yourself. I love the fact that your mindset is straightforward, no bullshit. And, uh, you know, I've been following you on Instagram for a while, man. Yeah, it's, um, well, thank you for, for the kind words. And, uh, I, you know, I, uh, I just try to put out things. I think a lot of people, sugarcoat things and they don't say how it is and gives people a false sense of security with whatever they're posting. And a lot of people like to act like their lives are really much better than they are when they're not. So they're not being real on social media. So I try to stay away from that stuff. Awesome. So for our listeners, could you introduce yourself? Give us a little <coughs> bit of your background. Absolutely. So uh, my name is Johnny Primo. Uh, I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. I run a training company named Courses of Action. The company teaches everything from combat shooting to fundamental shooting, uh, long-range precision shooting, and then small, down to small unit tactics and branching into combatives and emergency medicine stuff. Uh, prior to this, I worked at a company named Silencer Co. for a little bit, short stint, and then prior to that, I was in the military. I was in 3rd Special Forces Group for almost 16 years, and uh, yeah. Very cool. Raised, yeah, in Arizona. That's where I came from originally. So. so tell me something. I mean, coming out of the military, did you have your mindset focused on, you know, starting a tactical company, a shooting company? Uh, not at all. Um, really, coming out of the military was a huge eye-opener for me. Um, for lack of a better term, I wasn't used to facing real-world issues, if that makes sense. So... Um, Majority of my time, you know, I have almost five years deployed and uh, the rest of it, I'd say was a good chunk of it was in training. So I never really had to be in the real world. I never had to face these real world problems um, because I was never here. You know, you get out of the military sure. and you realize, holy cow, health insurance is expensive for a family. And, right. you know, and not everything's as cheap as I thought. Holy, you want to shoot? Ammo's expensive. It's no longer free, you know? Um so I, I wanted to work in something I'm passionate about in the military. I wrote the program for the family muzzle brakes, flash hydro suppressors for SOCOM and JSOC. And um, so I, I put in my application a company named Silencer Co. Uh, did a short stint at another one for maybe three months, uh, but Silencer Co. is the main one. And um, yeah, just tried helping them out with the mill LE stuff, business development, marketing, and things like that. So no aspirations of being a tactical trainer of any sort. So now I, I see that basically, you know, the way that you are marketing your company, I mean, you're out there on social media, but you have a very curated type 
of, uh, of uh, social media. So I see that you're very careful the way you post things, very professional, very neat in what you do. And, and then I like that because that's really a, a brand. You're an entrepreneur and uh, you're out there, you know, pushing what you believe in, but you're not messy. You know, a lot of these guys, and I hate to say it, you know, are pretty sloppy in what they're putting out there. You know, they just, they just pump, you know, pump out a bunch of shit and it just doesn't look professional no matter how good they are of an instructor. Um, a lot of times, you know, you have these messy social medias and, and the customer really wants something a little bit more refined, which I think that you've kind of, uh, you know, hit pretty precisely. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I own a huge chunk of that to my graphics guy. His name's Brett. He's out here in Utah. Um, I try doing things on my own as far as images and graphics and things like that. And, and it was essentially amateur hour. You know, no one wants to spend money on stuff like that. However, <laughs> marketing drives sales and sales make a company, right? So sure. um, I, took a, I took a little hit when I first got started and realized quickly that I couldn't do it on my own. So um, I definitely have a team that's helping me with the photography and the images and things like that. It's uh, Otherwise, nothing's consistent, you know? So. Absolutely. And that's so important, especially... In, in the market that you're in, you know, where it's uh, it, it's a tough one. You know, you have a tremendous amount of competition out there and, uh, you know, you go out there and you're teaching some quality, you know, some quality stuff. But if it's not seen in the right light and it's not precise, you know, your, your customers aren't going to walk in through the door because of just your because, because of your background. Um, and I had a similar situation. I've, I've been teaching for a very long time. I have military contracts overseas. And one of the things when I first started back in the early 2000s was exactly that, you know, that marketing, man, it was shitty, shitty as hell. So it took a while to build a pretty good, you know, training, you know, good following as far as uh, different, you know, law enforcement and military agencies and things like that. But man, you know, nowadays, shit, you can go out there on social media and like you said, you have a good graphics designer and it makes a big difference. It does. And you know, something else too is uh, in special operations, we have the term quiet professional. Um, but really, if you're going to try to use your background or whether it's law enforcement, military, whatever, uh, you have to give that up some point. So not putting out like optics and TTPs or any or, or OPSEC, violating OPSEC or TTPs or anything like that and putting the guys that are still doing their lives in danger. But no one's going to toot your horn louder than you. So I think if, you know, if you're in this mindset of a warrior, you really don't want to brag about yourself. However, you have to because no one else is going to, if that makes sense. Man, Johnny, so that, that, let me cut you up. That is such a great point. You know, it, it is such a great point. And I want to want to really dive deep into that for a second. So what you're saying, and let me get this right, is you're saying that, I mean, typically the mindset is, yeah, listen, if you've been there, you've done that, that's fine. You should be a quiet professional. But the reality in the world that we live in, if you shut your mouth, you're, you're going to get smothered and you're not going to build a business, right? 100%. 100%. Awesome. awesome. Yep. Um, and that's the thing is, you know, you get people, there's plenty of people that can out teach me and out shoot me out there, you know, just like there's plenty of people that can probably do combatives and, and up close stuff better than you, but they don't want to put it out there yet. They're trying to make money off of it. And it's just not, it's not a successful formula at all. There's no way that it's going to work that way. 
Um, and I found too, without I can I can put out two percent of what I've done with posts on Instagram and stuff, and the civilian population is just so intrigued by it. Just that small picture of Afghanistan with something happening. Sure. And you know the pictures I post aren't from like 2014 on my last deployment. They're from 2009, 10, and 11. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that stuff's so far outdated. There's nothing on my kit. There's nothing that I'm wearing that will affect anything opsec wise the guys cur- that are currently operational. Sure. Um, but you have to give your, your customer what they want, you know? And I think that's another thing as far as an entrepreneur goes is you have to give your customer what they want and what they think is cool because it's easy, really easy for me as a business owner to think that something's cool or that something's awesome. And just because it is to me does not mean it is to my clients. Absolutely. And Johnny, wouldn't you agree with me that you also have to tell a story to get the customer to be interested in what's happening? You know, the way that, you know, you lay out your post, you know, the things that you do, the videos that you cut. Yes, absolutely. You have to do that. And you can't put too much. It's kind of a fine line, right? You can't put too much, but you have to put enough out there so they want to touch the magic, if that makes sense. Awesome. You know, they you, you have to spark their curiosity. Totally, uh, I'm 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 a hundred percent with you. And you know, it it's um, I'm very new to you, Instagram. I mean, I'm literally should I've been there what eight months, seven months, or something like that. So I'm just trying to build a base here. But what I see, man, and on like, you know, when it comes to you know overall post, and you have a lot of people out there that yeah, they're firearms instructors and this and that. But the reality is that they don't look professional. And um, that's a huge point that you made. And I love that, man. I love the fact that, you know what, you're not going to, no one's going to toot your horn louder than yourself. That's 100%. Yep. Yep. So talk to me a little bit about your mindset. And was it something that you built in the military or maybe you had growing up? Talk to me about your childhood coming up and going into the military. All right. So, um, I grew up in a single-family household, which is, is, is quite funny. Um, you know, I'm going to jump forward to the military real quick. Obviously, I was in special operations. And uh, SOCOM and JSOC did a study. 98% of special operations guys are between the height of 5'7", 5'11", wear a size 10.5 boot, medium regular, uniform, medium regular uniform, and come from a broken home. Oh, damn. So I meet every single one of those. <laughs> oh, that, you know, and weigh between 170 and 190 pounds. So, I'm. I came from a broken home. Uh, parents split. My mother relocated to Arizona, and uh, I, I kind of grew up like a rough childhood, I guess you say. When I was five, um, my mom got me into wrestling and stuff. Right, so I started freestyle wrestling at the age of five, and one of her coworkers' husbands was our babysitter, and what he essentially had was a little kid's fight club. Him and his buddies would come over there and they'd get drunk and they'd have all of his kids fight. And if I didn't fight, then um, then I would, then he would make my little brother fight. If You know what I mean? <laughs> so if I didn't yeah. fight or if I was scared, he would make my little brother fight. And right, there was right. no way I was going to have that happen. And I mean, these guys were literally, there was fights at five. Was, as much as a five-year-old can actually inflict harm, we were doing that. And if we cried, then the grown man would hit us. And right. so we, we couldn't cry. And if I didn't fight, then my little brother, who was three, had to fight. And I was just not going to have that, right? Sure. Um, told my mom. And, you know, that's it, it. 
I mean, this is in 86, you know, so this stuff really wasn't the stuff we see nowadays. You see every day on social media and the news. You don't really hear about this stuff. Right. So my mom brushed it off like, okay, this is some kind of story, you know. Um, Hey, my brothers, just a quick break in the action here. Go grab yourself that free warrior manual. I just recently updated it. It has some very good stuff in there to set you walking on the warrior's path. Literally, it's about 18, 20 pages. Quick read, but very powerful stuff there. It's at forgingawarrior.com forward slash manual. Now back to the show. Switch babysitters about two years later, and uh, the babysitter's daughter, who was in her teens, uh, decided to uh, do sexual things to me and essentially uh, molested me, but not like a, a young boy is usually molested. You know, it was a, a teenage girl that was having sex with me. Right. Um, and you were how so old at, very, at this point? I was seven. So at wow. a young age, I was already very, very familiar with violence and protecting my little brother. So violence and protecting others that you care about. And I was also, you know, molested and experienced sexually. And it wasn't like a one-time thing. This thing went on for months and months and months with this girl, right? I didn't know what I was doing. You know what I mean? It was just like, hey, she said this, is, you know, and uh, kind of like a Stockholm Syndrome type thing. So fast forward, I kept on wrestling, kept on wrestling. My mom would have me play soccer every season to prep me uh, physically for wrestling. That's the only reason I played soccer. And... Uh, did all that, blah, blah, blah. My mom passed away when I was 14, and I lived with my grandmother then at that point. Um, I was I was a punk rock skater back in the day and a wrestler. Uh, I thought I was awesome. I was definitely ego-driven. Got into drugs pretty bad and alcohol and boozing it up and all this stuff. And uh, when I was 17, I, came, I, you know, I graduated high school at the age of 17. I really... <clears throat> I was a kid in school that would not do homework and not study and not do anything. But if I had it, if there was a test, I would smoke it and ace it, you know? Right. Constantly in fights, ditching school and all that stuff. I meant I went to school enough so that I didn't get kicked out. And I would forge letters for doctor's appointments and stuff like that for my grandmother. And really, I just was skateboarding or getting high with somebody. And um, 17 came and my grandma's like, you're going to be in the military within a year. And I just, I remember laughing at her. I was like, whatever. And, uh, got into some pretty heavy stuff drug wise. If you remember in the nineties, the late nineties, like 97, 98 ish. Um, there was that XC ring in Tempe, Arizona that was going crazy with Gerard Gavano and yep, uh, Sammy yep. the Bull, Sammy the Bull's son. Sure. Well, I was associated with that group. And they started raiding homes and everything like that. So I went into a recruiter and I was like, Hey, I, I need to join the army. And he's like, did you take your ASVAB? I was like, no, he's like, well, come in tomorrow. We'll take your ASVAB. So he drives me to maps or whatever, take my ASVAB. And, uh, my GT score was a 126. So basically I could do whatever I wanted. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to jump out of planes and blow shit up. And he's like, do, he's like, do you want a bonus? He's like, yeah, how much longer will it take me to get out of here? And really what I was running from is the SWAT team DEA ATF hit that was going to be coming down to my grandma's home, right? And I'm 17. So he's like, hey, this, you know, take an extra two weeks. He's like, I just need to get out of here as soon as possible. He's like, well, I can get you out of here, but you won't get a bonus. I was like, forget a bonus. So um, went to basic in AIT. I was a 12 Bravo, a combat engineer. 
and uh, went to jump squat for Benning. Ended up in the 82nd. And um, yeah, I was there for about nine months and decided I wanted to do other things. And that was selection and all that. Cool, cool. So tell me then when you I left- say my mindset, the, the base of that question, I say my mindset mm-hmm. was hardened at a very young age from combination of my mom pushing me to be the best that I could in any sport that I played. And, uh, I don't care who anyone is. I don't care if you played football, basketball, hockey, rugby, whatever bullshit you played. It does not compete to wrestling and the mindset in wrestling at all, at all. It right, doesn't, it just, it, it's a little bit different. I mean, when you're talking about one-to-one and you're talking about the skills and you're talking about it, it I agree. I agree. Um, I've never wrestled. I mean, I've, I've definitely done, fought a lot on the ground, but not necessarily wrestling per se, like American uh, type wrestling. Um, and, and I agree, a lot of people tell me that, you know, that the mindset for wrestling is something that you build and it's fucking resilient. It has to be. I mean, I was cutting weight before I was 10 years old to make a wrestling match. Right. You know? Um, so the combination of wrestling and then, uh, not having a father in my life, so I always had resentment there. Um, the violence that I was introduced to at five, the sexual abuse, and then my mom passing away, all that stuff, I kind of just became an individual that was very hardened, and I didn't lack emotion, but I would put that off, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think combination of all those made me, that was the emphasis of, who I am today. So tell me, how did you overcome that? I mean, you, you know, overcoming, we're talking about, you know, quite a, quite a, quite a rough, uh, childhood. Was it, um, say, did you kind of bring it all together one day and say, Hey, I just got to fucking move forward with my life. Or did, uh, did you have a mentor? Did you meet someone that helped you out along the way? Talk to me. No, so with a fight, with the fighting and stuff, I just continued with it. I just kept on. Violence was my middle name, essentially. You know, uh, I was that kid in school. I was never big. I graduated high school at 123. I wrestled 103 and 114 when I was in high school. Um, and I'm only five eight, so I'm not the tallest, and definitely wasn't the biggest back then. Uh, so I was the little guy that always felt that I had to prove myself to people. So I was always fighting, and I didn't care how big you were. Um, I'd fight you. I didn't care if I got beat up, I'd still fight you. So violence has always been a part of my life. It was whenever I was in 1920s that I learned how to start controlling that and my anger there. Uh, with the, with the, uh, the sex stuff, I kind of just let it go. I was like, you know what? Cause I started hearing things and this is going to sound horrible. Um, but whenever I started, you know, hearing things about, little boys being molested by men. I was like, well, I was molested, but it wasn't like that. So mine wasn't so bad, even though it was, um, I kind of convinced myself that it wasn't and just let that go. And I haven't really had issues with that. I just know that it does directly affect me. Now I can tell, um, whenever I'm in a relationship, um, with trust stuff, you know what I mean? Trust from what that girl said to me when I was a kid. Um, the whole making love stuff was really hard for me to grasp. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's definitely not how it was when I was a kid. And and then, you know, I stopped, obviously, whenever she wasn't my, her mom wasn't my babysitter anymore. 
but then picked it up at a very young age of 13 again because whatever I'd already done it right, right, um, right. so and then with my mom passing away you know I kind of um I kind of just dealt with it you know I was like it happens to a lot of people it's not the end of the world for me I knew that she loved me and she knew that I loved her uh and I well I say I let it go but then I got into drugs and alcohol um so I kind of I kind of inebriated myself away from the issue with my mom passing away what about your father or a father figure um so he funny thing I, I saw my father when I was nine for the first time and uh my parents were split up because my my I, he's a sperm donor over that at best. Um, he had two women knocked up at the same time. He was married to my mother and had another woman knocked up at the same time. And so my mom left. So I was three and she was pregnant with my little brother at the same time. Um, and then after my mom passed away, I called him. I asked him if I could move in with him, you know, and, and he's like, no, I don't have time for you. I was like, okay, sweet. Um, when I was 19, I uh, grabbed one of the biggest dudes that was uh, in my platoon, and we drove up to find him. I found him. This is back in the day. Do you remember whenever you had to call the operator? And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you'd be like, I'm looking for last name whatever in this state, because each code had yeah, its totally. own operator, sure. and you'd dial that code and ask for last name. So I found him, and uh, I went up there with every intention to just to fucking crush him, if we're being real. You know, mm -hmm. and, um, I show up there and he pulls, you know, I'm in like a stupid Honda Civic with a fart pipe or something like that. Don't judge me. I was 19. And, uh, so I pull up in this car and I see this Jaguar pull up and I'm like, what the hell? And this guy shorter than me even gets out. He's like, holy shit, you're built like a brick shit house, shit house. And he comes up trying to hug me and stuff. And I was like, you don't know me like that, man. Right. And he's like, what is like, you don't know me like that. I suggest you get away from me. And, uh, at that point, though, I, I decided that I wasn't going to crush him, right? Yet. We go to his house, and it's like the biggest house I've ever seen in my life. I, I did not grow up with money. You know, we had like a 1,400-square-foot home, if that. Uh, nothing fancy at all. Cinder block walls, you know, just nothing nothing nice. But it was a home. And uh, this house was huge. And on a huge chunk of land, he pulls up in this Jaguar does all this and mind you he's never paid child support in a day in his life um ever and then so i'm talking to him i find out that you know he's an author of books and he's, he's one of the top insurance guys in the country and he travels around and mentors people on insurance and and pushing insurance and hustling i guess you'd say and then i see this lady come down and that's he's like this is your stepmom i was like you're not even my dad so i don't know why you're saying she's my stepmom like i, I wasn't scared to be upfront with him but then I see a little boy come down and two little girls. And then I find out that I have a half brother and two half sisters. Oh shit. So I'm like, all right, um, this is weird. You know, one of them's like 16. The other one is 12 and the other one's nine, eight or nine at that point. I was like, wow, this is, this is news to me, you know? So I tried, I tried for, you know, while I was in the Q course and stuff to, to have a relationship with him. Um, 
found out that he's he was averaging about 11.7 and 12 million dollars a year but couldn't afford to pay child support ever right um oh man and i told him he couldn't buy his way back into my life like money wasn't an issue you know and even if it was i wouldn't take it from him um to the point that I came back from one deployment, he there's this brand new 2001 Jeep Wrangler, like the V6 one Sport at the time, top of line one or whatever. And I told him, right. I was like, hey, I don't want this. So I sold it to my teammate for $600 and then sent him a check for $600. Damn. Uh, fast forward to now, he's not in my life. He's not at all. He's not even a part of it. I, I did have strong role models in my life. I had my Uncle Roy, who uh, was a logger. Um, and he, he was, I'd say he was the driving force of my life as far as the male figure goes. And then my neighbor, Richard Delcy, uh, was a stud as well. And he was also a, a, a father figure for lack of a better term in my life. Damn. Pretty deep stuff right there, man. Pretty, I appreciate you sharing. Oh, no worries, man. It, I mean, what's funny though is, uh, you know, um, with what you've dealt with as a police officer and things like that, like this shit's a daily occurrence. It, it, you know, it's 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 easy for people that it hasn't happened to like oh wow but people like you that see it daily or that's happened to i know that it's like this stuff happens to more people than it doesn't people just don't want to talk about it no doubt but johnny yeah. the difference here is this some people i would say 95 percent of the people that i do encounter and that have you know fucked up you know childhoods and ch fucked up relationships and they in the end don't ever step up and make something of themselves like you did. I mean, you stepped up, you hit the military, you came out of the military and here you are today, you know, a successful businessman branding his company, moving in the right direction, doing the right thing, disseminating good information, helping others, right? Giving of yourself. That's what makes a warrior in my book, okay? You can be the biggest badass special forces fucking fighter, whatever it is, but if you don't give of yourself, right, that's not worth a shit in my book. Well, I agree. Um, I tell people that, that as men, we're on this planet to protect and provide, right? And that doesn't just mean, that just doesn't mean your direct immediate family, you know? It's, we're here to protect protect the people that can't protect themselves and help the people that can and provide whatever we can. Uh, obviously supporting our families, putting a roof over their heads, making sure that they never need and live, grow up a better life than we did, but also helping the people around you. You, you can't be so self, whether it's just talking to them, you know, providing support. You don't just have to provide money. You can provide support. You can provide an ear. You can provide advice, uh, point of view, just listen, you know, things like that. So protect and provide. Those are my two things. Awesome. And I want to talk a little bit about money, okay, because it's typically a taboo subject when it comes to, you know, law enforcement guys and military guys. And, you know, they do it for the honor. They do it for the, you know, it, they like to be, you know, like you said, quiet professionals. You know, it's about integrity. It's about being humble and secure in yourself. And But I call bullshit, okay? I'll tell you straight up. In my book, all right, money is important. Why? Because it can give you a lot of options. What's your take on money? Um, I think that money makes life much easier. They say it can't buy happiness, but it makes it easier. Uh, and I so so money for me is you know I have not hurt 
in a very long time for money. In special operations, we probably make triple to quadruple what your conventional guy makes of the same rank, um, which is one of the perks, right? Oh, I'm doing it for this. Now, and, and let's go back to the deployment stuff Why really quick, and then we'll go back to money. But I didn't deploy and I didn't do anything. You know, at first it was like, oh, my country, my flag, my family, all this. And after like your third, fourth deployment, you realize the only thing that matters is your teammates. That's why I was deploying. And to escape reality and real world problems. It it was over God, country, freedom, flag, family, anything like that. It was for my teammates. Um, As far as money goes, I find that the more I concentrate on money, the less it happens, right? So if all I'm thinking is money, 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 it doesn't happen. But if I just grind and not think about the money, let the money be a byproduct of it, then the money happens. So not losing focus of it, but concentrating on efforts that make money versus just focusing on the money. You know, yes. a big difference from checking your accounts every single day to knowing that it's there and only having to check it once a week or getting an update whenever certain charge of, above a set number is ran. Um, and and it does once you get to a certain point, it does equal freedom. You know, I, I've um, I agree. It, it, it's it's how you deal with it once you get to that point. You know? I agree. I mean, I was a, a Wall Street broker for ten years, and uh, you know, it, it, and I transitioned into into being a police officer. Most of my years have been, you know, were narcotics undercover and and working different operations, and you know, seeing some ugly shit. But the reality is that in the end, um, it, you know, when you are stable and you are financially stable and you can grow with money you can provide your family the you know a good living and like you said earlier you know you can give them a better life than you had when you were growing up you know that that's king in my book so so i have a saying and it sounds kind of dumb to people if they don't if they're not very bright but i say chase memories and not money and the money happens then I agree. You know? I agree. Um, I think. I think exactly. I, th- I think Johnny. If you know, if you're doing something, you know, because you want to do it, you want to do the right thing, and you put it out there, and you care about your customers, you care about your people. Money's going to come. It's going to be there. It is, and and um, I don't. You know, you get a lot of people that are like, "Oh, I'm going to be a millionaire, a billionaire," and I'm right. fine with. I'm friends with two people in Miami who are known for this. Grant Cardone and Elena Cardone, they're friends of mine. Like I go shooting with her. Yep. Um, and what does he say? Make that money. Right. And yep. I agree with them. Yep. I agree with them. Um, but people don't understand the amount of work it takes to get to that level. And then once they do, they're scared of it. Um, but I tell people, what do you want to do? If you want to, if you want to take vacations and you want to do that with your family and da, 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 concentrate on making those memories and the money to support those memories will happen. But Very as soon true. as you concentrate on on something outside of memories and and providing for your family, and, you, and it turns to more of a greed thing, then you're fucked. I agree, and uh, I, I'm gonna I'm you know what I'm gonna take it down this road. Fuck it. So I got a, uh, a an email the other day. Actually, correction, it was a comment from uh, some dude. Uh, you know, we we're marketing the uh, Conclave of Warriors down in Miami, where we're having you know. Um, a bunch of you know a few navy seals some entrepreneurs and we're going to be doing this big event and um you know one of the comments was like oh you know these guys you know they're stroking their egos and uh you know they shouldn't be paid for what they're doing and they shouldn't charge any money and and i'm thinking you know what a fucking stupid 
I mean, what a stupid comment to make. And I go back on this guy's Facebook and I look that he's a doctor out of Miami. I'm like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? You know, and then I I, kind of write back to him and and he writes back to me, hey, um, well, it's just like if you were going to Ethiopia and then you were out there feeding the Ethiopians and you would post pictures on Facebook boosting your ego that you are, you know, feeding the Ethiopians. I'm like... (laughs) You got to be kidding me, man. So here's my point of view on that. One, nothing is free. It all takes work. Even with your friends, whenever they want, when they're like, oh, yeah, it's free. No one really does anything for free. We all as human beings actually hold like a little debt counter, right? Remember when I scratch your back, you're going to scratch mine. So nothing's really free. And with the skills that those guys are putting off of, I know as far as me that I have well over $10 million invested in training that the government paid for me. Right. To make me who I am. Why would I give that out for free? That's like having somebody that makes $10 million and and expecting them to give you write your business plan for you. Then they're not going to. Everything costs something, whether it's work, whether it's money, effort, work, time is money. Like it all costs something, especially for that experience that you're getting from that many people in one place. Yeah, and that that's an, let's let's go there right now. Uh, think about it. I mean, you're talking about investing in training. I mean, why do you think that people don't invest in their in themselves to to train? Like it's you know they talk a big game. People are like, yeah, we're gonna go to this seminar or that conference, whatever it might be. Yeah, we're gonna be there, whatever. And the reality is that they don't spend a fucking money on themselves at all. Well, everyone, well, one people don't understand that it costs money to make money, and Two, uh, people like to talk. People are talkers nowadays versus taking action. You know, I remember whenever we do something and I come to school and the first day back from school, every kid went through and talked about what they did all summer long and all that stuff. Now kids are talking about what they're going to do in the summer before they even do it. They may not do it. So, you know what I mean? So it's, it's more talk and less action nowadays and people are scared. It's like a gun, right? I can tell you if somebody's a shooter or not as soon as they show me their gun. Because most of the time, here's what fucking happens. They go upstairs, come back downstairs like five minutes later, forget a combo on some stupid stock Glock gun box, open it up. They have a freaking barrel flag in there. It's never been fired, maybe three times. You know what I mean? Super (laughs) clean. And they don't even know how to clear a gun and hold it. And and so guns are turning in like... I have a gun. It's like a fucking conversation piece at a barbecue. Sure, You're like, well, how sure. much training do you have? None. Why would I need that? But I have my, sure. my concealed carry permit. Okay. We all know that's bottom of the barrel basic. In some states, you don't even need to shoot to get one. That's and right. they're, they're not putting... Just because you have a job and provide for your family doesn't mean you can't do better. Right? And if you look at your family's light, your the the livelihood of your family outside of providing, you know, the providing part, but the protection part, um, that's part of our jobs. And if you can't pr- protect your family, then what are you doing as a man? If you're not out there trying to get better in all facets, whether it's blade, whether it's fist, whether it's Muay Thai groundwork, whether it's jujitsu, whether it's freaking shooting, whether it's shooting a bow, whether it's shooting a pistol, whether it's shooting a rifle, cart, I think a warrior should know how to do all those things personally. But if you can't do at least a couple of those things to protect your family, then what are you really doing? 
because then you have a guy who's a bad guy like it's like you or me we're not bad but that have our backgrounds and with a little hate in our hearts and intent that guy cannot do anything to protect his family and guess what the cops aren't going to be able to arrive by the time the will is imposed on that family no, you know no doubt he could be alive call the cops it's too late no doubt, no doubt. And this is one of the things that I, I've, I'm always preaching about. You know, you got to be your own protector. You know, I mean, look, as police officers, yeah, I mean, we do our best to get there as fast as possible in obviously a critical situation. But the reality is that by the time we get there, nine times out of 10, uh, you know, shit is, is either finished or fucking, you know, it's already popped off for a while. So, the reality, man, is you got to learn as as a warrior, as a man in this planet, you know, it's not good enough just to be a badass moneymaker. You have to be able to provide and protect your family. And like you said, you know, being that warrior in all facets of your life is super important. And one of the things that I believe in, this is one of this man of war movement that, I, that, I, that I've been preaching since I started this, is look, man, that balance, right, in your life between, you know, you can be a great businessman, but on the flip side, you can be a great warrior, right? You can be, you can learn how to shoot, how to fight, how to protect your family, and that confidence that you build from that will carry over into your business world. Would you agree on that? I, I agree with that 100%. Um, but something resonated with me as you were saying that as well, and, you know, it's people that thinking, you know, on my website says good enough is never good enough. But I had a sergeant major tell me before. Um, his name was Keith Nan, and he was a legend in third group. He said, the minute you think you're better than anybody, you're fucked. I'm like, what does he mean? But I look at it yep. that way. And so I have ADHD, like most people that I know. And, and you're talking, and I'm listening to you speak about that, and I'm going back to this doctor. That doctor is so scared to learn anything new that he will never be successful in life. And he is probably angry at the world because he has a job that he doesn't like and he's still paying off student loans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fucking hater, man. Yes. You got plenty of those. Um, but it's, it's, you have to, you have to, you can't, you know, we have this term in special operations, complacency kills. You know, um, once, somebody gets, once somebody gets comfortable where they're at, it, whether it's a job or um, their bank account wise or just life in general and that that comfort turns to complacency that's whenever bad shit happens so you can never of course you can never be good enough at anything and you can always learn something from anyone it's just what Abs you're gonna learn absolutely even man. if it's I I'm never gonna be like that person you learn something you heard their story you did that you're like okay fuck I learned what not to do right yep, for sure no doubt. You know, as a uh, as a field training officer, when I have rookies in, in, in my cars, you know, and, you know, we're out there, you know, conducting traffic stops, you know, it's so important to understand that the reality is complacency will eat you up alive. Okay. You might have done a thousand traffic stops, but it's that thousand and number one, okay, that will fuck you up and kill you. And, uh, you know, and it's tough. It's tough because when you do it often enough, man, and you do that type of, you know, you, 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 you forget about that situational awareness. And uh, in my opinion, man, that's crucial. Whatever battlefield you operate in, whatever part of your life, if you lose that situational awareness, it's not good. No, it's not. And uh, 
we, it, you know, it's situational awareness that whenever the world that I was in, um, you know, the whole term spidey senses, if you are in a job that can, that you're nine to five, for lack of a better term, invar- involves putting yourself in harm's way, listen to your fucking spidey senses because majority of the time they are right. I can't tell you how many times we'd be there situational awareness, right? We see, so we're looking, there's no one there, but then you get that weird fucking feeling. And you're like, hey, you guys, it's about to go down. And within 30 seconds, all hell breaks loose. So situational awareness and trusting your fucking instincts. You know what I mean? Like, yes, why do I feel this way right now? You are foreseeing what's going to happen without even knowing it. You know? Now, do you think that this instinct that we talk about here that's, uh, you know, this sixth sense, for lack of a better word, um, do you think that comes with training, with experience? Yeah, it does. You know, it's, um, so whenever I'm teaching people and we're talking about gunfighting and stuff and something I do not do in my courses is tell a lot of war stories. Right. Um, but whenever I'm teaching, I'm big that I teach, I explain the whys in and out, which is something that not a lot of people know how to do. And then I demo it slow and to standard in front of my students. Um, and I want them to get in a zone. Okay. And the way that I break down the zone is whether you've, whether the gnarliest thing you've ever done is ride a motorcycle or if you've done any kind of combatives or, you know, whether it's Muay Thai, just Taekwondo, I don't care. Something where somebody else can hit you. Right. Or if you've done force on force training with UTM or simunitions, the first time that someone goes to punch you in your face, all you see is black because you close your eyes. Right. You're like, what the fuck just happened? And then the more you train in that aspect, then you can start seeing, okay, the hips telegraphing, okay, shifting weight. All right, yeah, he's throwing a punch. And, you, and all this happens in microseconds, right? Absolutely. The first time you're on a motorcycle, you go five miles an hour, and you're scared of shit. 15 times later after riding a motorcycle, you go 115, you're like, oh, wow, shit, look at that. It's a fucking iguana. You know, just weird shit. You start noticing things. So what I tell people is training can get ingrained to you. I'm, I'm a firm believer that yes, some people are born with certain things, but training is a big part of things as well. Like was Michael Jordan uh, is LeBron James and Michael Jordan and all these athletes gifted. Were they born different than us? Yes. But guess what else they still had to do? Fucking work and train. Um, so genetics are part of it, but more so my opinion, training and physical time is physical time. We cannot control physical time. We cannot do that, but perceive time right? Perceive time in a gunfight for me in a gunfight. It's like time slows the fuck down. Now, physical time's physical time, but it really slows down to somewhat like that movie, the matrix, whenever Neo's doing all this, I'm not saying that I see bullets flying at me, but time slows down almost like that where people could be sprinting. But all I see is it's weird. They're moving slow, even though I know they're running. Um, I can hear correctly. I, I, you know, I've never had that auditory exclusion stuff, I can hear my teammates on my radio, but I'm still able to shoot and all this stuff. And as soon as the gunfight's over, it seems like it lasted for fucking ever. Sure. And really, it was five yep. seconds. Yep. And that yeah, only I mean, comes with getting uh, repetitions in and training for whatever your job is. Whether it's force yeah, on force, I, I whether agree. it's combatives, whether it's... There's a difference between... Okay, yeah, we're you know I have a, an MMA fighter lives near me named Jeremy Horn, and I'm also good friends with Tim Kennedy and Al Shabaro and those guys. And 
there's a big difference between going to your local gym and sparring with somebody there and being the man and then having to fight somebody like them, you know? Yep, I agree. I, I, I agree 100%. Now, I'm going to turn the tables a little bit here, okay? And this is based on my experience and a lot of research that I've done here, and I want to, I want to get your input on this, mm-hmm. okay? I mean, the reality here is this, okay? I'm big into teaching force on force. I'm big into teaching the realities of combat a little bit outside the gym, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have my school here. We practice on the mat, of course, all that great stuff. But the reality is that I go out there and I put these guys through paces. You know, we hit the ground, we're moving and shooting and we're tackling and, you know, we're getting pretty much bruised up on the ground in a nice, hot fucking summer day, okay? And I gotta tell you, and I'll be upfront, man, I have taken quite a few guys from different schools, MMA guys and, and guys that, jiu-jitsu guys that have been rolling around on the ground and, and when they get smacked in the face, when the reality fucking hits that the concrete is hot and fucking rocks and pebbles hurt, and when, you know, the guy on top is fucking kicking him in the head and shit just changes dynamically, uh, you know, they start questioning the realities of, of, of training. Now, my opinion here is this. I think a lot of the self-defense training nowadays is geared a lot more toward sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can hit the bag all day long. You can fucking, and don't get me wrong, it's awesome, it's great, great. I get a great workout, you should go to the gym and work out it. And I hate to say gym, because I'm very, I'm a little bit more traditional, okay, but to the dojo, do whatever you need to do. But, dude, uh, in my opinion is, you gotta take it outside in the street and fucking work out well, in the real world. You know, it's, um, I made a post last week about this. <laughs> exactly what we're talking about. And I said, it's fine to roll around on mats and do all this shit and train. You have to train. But you also understand, you also have to understand what a level of violence that you would eat somebody's fucking face off is. Because unless you can take it to that level of violence, if the other person's willing to, you lose. Because you can be the best trained fighter in the world. You can be the best combatives guy in the world, right? But until you actually poke your fingers and your thumbs through something like a fucking pig's eye and feel that brain and understand what an eye gouge really is, it's not like a boop, oh, I poked you in your eye. No, you're trying to get fucking brain matter on your thumbnail. But until people are ready to combine training with the level of violence and prepared mentally to take it to that level of violence, they're not there, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree. And, and uh, you know, you, you look at it, you know, I've been teaching the police academy for a lot of years. And this is one of the, you know, when it comes to DTs, the defensive tactics, this is one of the key elements that I tell people, you know, when you're fighting out, when you're fighting for your life out there, you know, it, it's not fighting in a gym. It's not, you know, that comfortable. And don't get me wrong. I believe repetition. I believe going to a dojo and practicing consistently is crucial yep. for your growth. But, all right, you have to bring that out of that element so you could get a feel of what the real world is. Because everything you train on the mat, it's not going to be nearly as pretty out there as it is on the mat. No, I see, so, you know, so we have special forces medics on our team, right? And they're hands down the best trauma surgeons in this world. You ask any trauma surgeon, 
And they'll say, yes, part of their portion of the Q course, which is the course that we go to to learn our jobs and special operations, right. is they do a six-month residency in a high-trauma area like Miami, like Chicago, like Indian reservations right. and things like that. Prior right. to that, all they've done is work on life tissue training on goats. Quarterly, everybody on my team had to re- maintain a certain level of combat trauma medicine, you know, way beyond TCCC on live tissue. So it's different whenever you have like a little mannequin dude and you're putting a tourniquet on there and they spray some fucking blood. Yeah. Then rolling around, there's a living, breathing thing, you know, that's it's on ketamine, so it's not really feeling anything, but its guts are hanging out and two of its legs are chopped off and its throat slashed. What are you going to do? Sure. You know, sure. the first time that you are doing medicine like that should not be whenever you actually have to do it on a human being. You should have touched life tissue before. The same thing goes into training, you know? I think there's two types of people whenever you train and you've done this enough to know if you and I train and we say, we'll start off at 50%. Well, it's going to end somewhere around 90 to 95%. That's just the way it is. You, you know what I mean? Hell yeah. Um, but then you have the other people who are just doing it for Instagram pictures and they say, let's start at 40% and they get hit 40% and then they stop pussyfooting backwards and doing the cat paw punches and shit like that. And now they're at like a 10%. You're really not going to get right. anything out. You have to. You can't be scared to get hit in the face. You can't be scared to fall. You can't be scared to do any of that. And I'd rather do it in training than the first time being the real real deal, you know? I agree, man. I'm all about, listen, you fucking cry in the motherfucking mat or gym, and okay, and then you laugh in the battlefield. That's the mentality, right, that you got to have. Train your fucking heart out, man. So when you're out there and you're fucking fighting for your life and i've been there man i've been in situations that have been fucked up and jacked up no doubt and i gotta tell you if it wasn't for my training and my ability to move my body in certain angles and 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 even just stop so you know when going back to you know your perceived time it's awesome because you know time does slow down if you're focused right if you have that fuck if that focus but so i want to talk to you a little bit about focus let's just go there when you're shooting and you're moving and 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 you know these guys uh you know we're, we always talk about that 360 degree awareness but the reality is that you know you can be super fucking aware but man you got to be especially in battle you got to be focused on what your task is right there at that moment absolutely absolutely you do um you have so focus for me is like you said essentially it's whenever you get in the i'll say the operator realm where i was right um you know you go from focusing on this thing in front of us this threat if you will in this home in this house this bad guy and also having to focus on the, the next two steps that you're going to do so it's like so I say you have to focus on the on the task at hand, but you also have to be cognizant and focused on, oh shit, I see another guy. So I'm focusing on this, but if I stay focused on this guy, then that guy can get an edge on me, you know? Sure. Whether it's whether it's combatives or gunfighting or anything like that, I say it's all a battle for time. My goal is to take time away from them and not give them any of mine. The more fucked up I am and I'm methodical and focused on what I'm doing training-wise, if I can't apply it in combat then that's time that I'm giving them. And if I give them a second, then that's a second too long that they have to get the edge on me. Agreed, man. Agree. We're constantly fighting for time, no doubt about it. All right, brother. So I'm going to ask you a question that I ask all my 
guess here, okay? What is your definition of a modern-day warrior? A modern-day warrior would be somebody that, like we said earlier, protects and provides, and also that does not get misconstrued on... You see a lot of tough guys out there now, right? I I have tattoos, I'm this, I'm a badass, I'm violent, violent, violent. A true warrior, in my opinion, is 90% compassion and 10% killer. But my 10% killer is what fucking nightmares are made of. Um, reason being is, you know, if you look at us, whenever we're operational, we go in there and we could shoot, you know, 15 bad guys. But guess what those bad guys had? Kids, women, wives, daughters, little babies. So we had to go from being killers for that 10% that's a nightmare back to compassion right away. And if you approach it like that, where you're more compassionate in your life, but you're ready to go. 100% ready to go. You know, my 10% could be like majority of other dudes in this world combined 100%. But that 10% is just a, a flick of a switch away. So have compassion, be ready to go, and protect and provide. Awesome, dude. Man, some great words from you. Man, it was an absolute pleasure having you on, brother. Now, we could sit here for hours and hours and talk. Tell our listeners where they can find you, either on Instagram, your website, your courses. Okay. So, um... My website is www.courses-of-action.com. And on Instagram, I am at courses underscore of underscore action. And uh, everything will be up on the website. We push stuff on Instagram, obviously, because Facebook is super expensive. And um, yeah, we're on there. And, And something that we're really good about is if you direct message that Courses of Action account, you will get an answer from me rather quick. It's not like I'm just going to sit there stagnant. Um, so yeah, if, if people awesome, have man. questions or anything like that, we try to put out not overly motivational stuff, but stuff to motivate people from a different perspective. And all our course schedule stuff will be on there and online. Beautiful. Johnny, man, it was an absolute honor having you on. And certainly I want to have you back on soon. You have so much more to talk about here, man. Some great stuff, brother. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like we just, uh, we haven't even dove deep yet. We're still on the surface water. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother, man. All right. Stay safe Be out well there. Thanks for having me on. Boom. There you have it. What a great conversation with Johnny Primo. Listen, if you did not write this down, you did yourself a disservice. He had some very, very strong nuggets of wisdom right there that you could start implementing into your life right here and right now. Now, check this out. Go to conclaveofwarriors.com, Miami, December 1 and 2. I want to see you there. No excuses, no procrastinations. Go reserve your tickets right here and right now. That's conclaveofwarriors.com. It'll be the best thing you've ever done for your life. No doubt about it. Until next time, your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.